Around Comics, the Phil Hester Interview. Thank you for listening to another episode of Around Comics, where every week we assemble a new panel to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Niesman, and we are joined, as always, by my partner in crime and the producer of the show, Brian Salazar. This is a special episode of Around Comics. We're going to deviate from our normal format because we have a chance to sit down and talk with one of our favorite creators. He is one of the truly multi-talented creators in the world of comics. Whether he is writing, illustrating, working in mainstream comic books, or alternative press, his unique and innovative style is sure to turn heads and entertain. He is Phil Hester. Phil, welcome to the show, and thanks for being on Around Comics. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Exciting to to get sort of the... uh very special episode. That's nice. <laughs> this is uh, uh, one of our, our first interview episodes. Have you uh, have you ever done any podcast uh, episodes or listened to a podcast yet? Yeah, just a few so far. It's, it's a new thing to me, but it seems very exciting. It, it's fun, and there are quite a few comic book podcasts out there, and so it's been interesting to see just average fans get out and express their opinions uh, over the internet this way. Yeah, it's, it's refreshing. The more perspective you're exposed to, the the more exciting the whole medium can seem. So the more people I get to talk to, the more gratifying it is. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, the big news out of Marvel is that they, uh, they just announced that yourself and Robert Kirkman have been named to be the creative team on their new book, Ant-Man. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how the Ant-Man project uh, got going and what you think it's going to be like to work with Robert Kirkman? Well, it's... It, Robert is somebody that I've admired for a long time, which seems odd since he's so he's so young and I've been in the game so long. But um, we've noticed his work for a long time, and um, we were both part of the uh, Images second run at starting another universe, superhero universe. Firebreather and Invincible were part of the same sort of wave, and so I've been following his work for a long time. And we've always been sort of looking for an opportunity to work together. And when Robert um, was given Ant-Man by Marvel, he had a short list of guys he wanted to go after. And I guess I was on that list. So, you know, things worked out. Uh, I was coming to the end of my run on Nightwing. And it was, you know, because it was, it was coming up on one year later for Nightwing, and it was kind of a nice place to break if we were going to break. And Ant-Man became available, so... Uh, we jumped ship and went there. That's great. Now, one of uh, one of your uh, longtime compatriots, Andy Parks, he w- was he still working on Nightwing with you? Oh yes, yeah. Is is Andy going to be on the creative team for Ant Man? Yeah, I, w- I don't go anywhere without him. So. <laughs> That's actually a, a question that we had written down for later, um, but we'll go ahead and ask it now. You and Andy have worked with each other for a long time. How did that relationship get started? Um, well, we're sort of best friends, and it, it's it's uh, it's a stroke of luck, and I, I guess we do some of it's by design as well. We met when we were in our early twenties, and I think we saw in each other that we were both at sort of the same level of accomplishment, and we shared a certain amount of aesthetics, and so we decided early on that hey, you know, maybe we should sort of strike up a professional relationship. 
and uh, it's been successful for us ever since. I mean, uh, there's been times in our careers when we've been separated on different gigs, and uh, it's always just made the chances we've been able to work together again all the more sweeter. So, you know, thankfully now I think the comic book world sees us as a duo. You guys are almost synonymous. Yeah, and, and that's probably the most, that's one of the most gratifying things about my career that when people, you know, and not that, not to compare talent, but it's like saying, you know, Kirby and Sinnott, you know, mm-hmm. and say, you know, Hester and Park, that we're sort of a, we're sort of a tandem, like Colin and Palmer, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, to me, so that's really good. Is that something that, something that is negotiated ahead of time, or going into a situation like Ant-Man, is that just assumed that the two of you will be working together? That's what's exciting about it. Uh, since Nightwing on, people have been assuming that we're a team. Um, we, we, I sort of, it wasn't much of a fight, but we, you know, I sort of had to be assured by DC that I would have Andy on Green Arrow before that started. And um, and since then, there's never been a question. So, it, you know, that that's sort of a resolved issue, thankfully. Yeah, how did uh, how did you like Capote in Kansas? Oh, I loved it. it wasn't yeah, that a great a great piece of work? Yeah, it it, it was. Uh, you know, we I sort of always known he could do that. Though I mean, I was the very first thing he did was Uncle Slam, which not a ton of people saw, but. I got to help him with, you know, laying it out, and that was his sort of first big writing endeavor. So I know I've always known he's had that latent writing ability brewing, you know. Just well, in, anyone, any of our listeners that that don't know what we're talking about, uh, Andy Parks uh, wrote a graphic novel called Capote in Kansas, and with art that was beautifully done by Chris Samney. And if you haven't had a chance to uh, pick it up, do so. It is, especially if you saw Capote in theaters recently. It's uh, it's a great companion to that. It was a great oh, piece yeah. of work. Going back to the uh, the Green Arrow uh, and that experience working with Kevin Smith, how did you find that? Uh, you know, him coming from the movie world and, and not being a comic book writer per se, um, how was that experience working on Green Arrow with him? Well, it was it was a blast. It was exciting. Um, I think that the fact that Kevin wasn't totally a comic book guy, you know, like a comic book writer, um, made his stuff fresh and exciting and also made it challenging for us. Um, he tended to see... Uh, a lot of times, the comic book writer writes plot first, and Kevin always writes character first. <laughs> and so, um, there was never any question about how to handle the characters he was writing. It was also crystal clear. But since he wasn't a, he, since he didn't write comics every day, sometimes he'd put a little too much information in a panel or a page, and it was a challenge to sort of make that all flow. But in the end, it, it led to really rewarding results. I think. Oh, it's a great series. Uh, you know, talking about writing, you know, it's one of the things I love about your work is that you're you're not just an artist; you write. Um, it's it's interesting to see because you're writing. Uh, those books seem so different than the books that you that you do art on. Uh, one of the books I really enjoyed this last year was Stronghold. So, when does the second issue come out? <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's getting very close to being done with it right now. Um, Tyler's had a second child right in the middle of all this. And um, I sort of told him before he had it that preparing for your second child, you know, how, you know, it's sort of the way when people tell you that before you have no children, having one you can't prepare for, 
Mm-hmm. I say, well, going from one to two, you can't prepare for it either. Right. So, I will definitely attest to that. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Stronghold. Of course, I'm I'm from St. Louis originally, and so it was nice that a lot of the story took place in St. Louis, which is you know interesting to me, but a very interesting story. So, um, is it a three issue miniseries? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, three big forty eight pages. So it'll be you know when all said and done, it'll be a trade paperback's worth of material. Yeah, it's I I really enjoyed it. Um, well, uh, I, hope you, mm-hmm. I hope you keep watching it because we do some horrible things to St. Louis in the second issue. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was—I uh, was actually going to tell you—you've already written it, obviously. But uh, there's a great uh, documentary that came out of uh, St. Louis on—it's uh, called Under St. Louis, talking about oh, really? all the caverns and the old beer coolers that all the old beer companies yeah. used to use. All that stuff is still there. I mean, there are actual like mansions underground St. Louis. Yeah, we um. You know, we sort of we sort of found that out after the fact. After we chose to make it St. Louis, that's just sort of clicked into place. I guess that's just you know, sort of fortuitous synchronicity on the project. Yeah, it, it looked like you guys researched it. Um, one of the things that I've I've loved talking to you in the past, we we talked at Wizard World last year, and you're just a wealth of information as far as other stuff that's out there. You really seem to have your finger on the pulse of comics. One of the books that you told. Um, Sal and I about was Charles Burns' Black Hole. Um, oh, yeah. we, we reported a couple weeks ago that it's been optioned as a movie and Neil Gaiman is writing the screenplay. Have you heard about that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm excited, excited about it? it? Oh, yeah. I'm, like, I, I'm really, like, I'm intrigued and, like, incredulous. I don't know how they will capture just how creepy Charles Burns' art style is mm. in a nor- you know, shooting a normal film. You know, it's, it, I remember um, a long time ago, MTV adapted one of his projects, Dog Boy, and mm-hmm. they they adapted that by, you know, having pe- having all the actors wear prosthetics, and usually using a bunch of special effects that approximated panel borders and things. And I don't think you can do that with Black Hole. I think Black Hole has to be shot pretty much straightforward. But it'll be strange to see how well they capture that. Um, that creepy atmosphere. I think that's the scariest book ever done. I find that comic book terrifying. It's uh, I don't I, I don't know how to capture that. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, you know, you, like I said, you really have your finger on the pulse of stuff. Um, what else can you tell us is out there? Because we, uh, after we left the show last year, we just took this list of stuff that you had told us about and started started finding it, and it's it was all good. So what else well, is cool. uh, Phil Hester reading these days? Oh, uh, uh, I feel horrible because I, 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 you know, I've become so busy writing and drawing, and that I've I've got this literally a long box of stuff I haven't read yet. And I look over at my bookshelf right now, and I have, you know, the latest Acme Novelty Library, and it's still in the shrink wrap. I haven't opened it yet, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm I'm afraid I'm behind the times. I mean, the, as far as like young creators that I that I'm really excited about, I I think Brian Wood is a special talent as a writer, and. Um, He's I a favorite of ours, that's for sure. Yeah, if you if you listen, I think we mentioned him at least twice an episode. Yeah. And I think um, uh, Oni's putting out great stuff, as usual. Um, I think Banana Sunday is a really cool book that they're putting out. Um, yeah, you can't go wrong. I Honestly, I, I feel like you can't go wrong with Top Shelf or Oni or any of those really great sort of salon publishers. Have, have you read Trick yet? 
Oh no, not yet. It's really it's, good. It's, it's another one of those. Um, it's right next to my shrink wrapped copy of the Quitter. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister, and she's hot. Uh, Phil, we've got a few listener emails here. Uh, I'll uh, take the first one. It's from Tack in Sydney, Australia. It says, Phil, I loved Fringe and Negative Burn. What was your experience like at Caliber Comics? We loved it. Caliber, um, which sort of now can just be known as Vertigo Jr., because almost everybody who started there has gone on to bigger and better things. Um, it was It was the most... Oh gosh, how do I describe it? It was a there was a really an atmosphere of freedom at Caliber that they they were willing to give anybody a shot that looked like they had a unique voice or uh, a different kind of story to tell, and it was it was it was their great strength and also their probably their Achilles heel because they tried so much that of course there were a few clunkers in there, but at the same time, uh, you know, it gave birth to so much really great work and so many uh, great artists and writers that would go on to do really important work in the industry. It was, mm-hmm. it was sort of like being at the at the beginning of a really great recording label starting up, you know, and all the young acts that were going to turn into huge super acts later. It was a really exciting place to be. Oh, for, for our listeners out there, who were some of the creators at Caliber? It's an impressive list. Yeah, Brian Bendis, Michael Lark, uh, Vince Locke, uh, Guy Davis, um, I was there. You know, just, it, if you run down the list, you find, um, you know, pick up any issue and make it burn. You see Paul Pope and McKeever, you know, tons of guys that, you know, turned out later to be huge. That leads me into a question I have about sort of the industry as a whole. You see so many um, creators that have come from, you know, sort of indie comics and and that world of self-publishing and and doing, you know, really creative stuff. And now, you know, they're all signed to exclusives at Marvel and DC. Do you think it's a disservice in any way to the industry that those great creators aren't really allowed to create original material? Yes. No. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, when I when I when I was coming up, Marvel and DC were were making big efforts to um, have creator-owned lines. You know, Epic was a going concern, and and at DC Vertigo sort of seemed that way. And there was Piranha Press, and you know, all sorts of different venues for the the top talent to do creator-owned stuff. And now it seems like that's not not really a priority anymore. It now the priority is if you have a hot talent to put them on your top book, which makes great business sense. You know, if, if Brian Bendis is your top writer, you know, put him on Avengers, whatever. At DC, if, if Brad Meltzer is your hot writer, put him on Justice League. And that makes sense for the company, but um, I think we're missing something. There's no more, uh, you don't see, you know, Jim Starlin's Dread Stars popping up anymore. Mm-hmm. Or things like or Howard Jacobs' American Flags coming out. And uh, that was really one of the most exciting things about the '80s, and it's sort of gone. And now, and now, if you're if you're a big name, and you want to do something you own, you sort of maybe you'll get invited to do it at Icon, maybe you know. But so far, that that line is invitation only, and um, you sort of have to go to Image. 
and going to image means, you know, good and bad. I mean, there's total freedom, but it's also total financial freedom. You're not, <laughs> you're not, you're staking out your own work, you know, for free basically, and hoping that that book's a success. And at the same time, you're you're not, you know, you're trying to, to make a living, and, you know, if you're signed to to one of these companies, and you obviously have that work as a priority as opposed to something. Yeah, there are only so many hours in the day, so uh, you know, you've got to feed your family, and um, and you know, hey, working on mainstream super comics is is a blast. There's no there's no way around it. It's sure. one of the best sure. jobs in the world. But when you do crave that freedom, you sort of have to you have to take some risk. Well, that's what I had kind of talked about a little bit earlier. The books that you write are in you know utter contrast to a lot of the books that you illustrate. Right. Is is your creator owned stuff? Is that really where you get to spread your creative wings? Yeah, I I think that's um that's closer to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love. I mean, this whole my whole career there's sort of been this little. I have I've had this schism between the part of me that wants to be. Alan Davis and the part of me that wants to be Jose Munoz, you know, I I want to do I do enjoy bright, shiny superhero stuff. I like that. There's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, I also really like um, you know, alternative books and more sophisticated stuff. So, yeah, th- it, it's I'd never be totally satisfied if I were trapped in either one of those places. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I look at your work like The Coffin, which I absolutely love that book. It was um, dark and adult and dealt with some really, really scary themes in it. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, then I'll go and I'll read Nightwing. <laughs> and it's like, right. this is the same guy. And, and yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but it's a credit to you. It seems natural to me because I... I I don't see how I don't see why more people aren't like that. You know, I I to me there's there's a joy in you know writing something that's you know critically acclaimed and is a, appeals to adults. There's an equal amount of joy in drawing a really cool Iron Man armor. Mm-hmm. You know? Sure, as juvenile as that sounds, I'm I'm equally pleased by both things. Well, you, you do both things, but one thing I've noticed is that it's been quite a while since you've actually uh, done the art for a story that you've written. Do you have any plans yeah. in the future to do that? That's sort of been a conscious thing on my on my part. Um, I kind of want to get established as a writer in the minds of uh, the powers that be at the big two. And so to do that, I, I sort of don't want to be seen as... Um, Doing a pet project, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to be seen as just a writer on a few things, and you know, sort of get my bona fides that way. Um, but yes, I, I've never, I was never happier than when I was doing the wretch, when I was writing and drawing, mm-hmm. um, you know, my my character, and unfortunately, it was, you know, a recipe for bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> but, is it exciting to see people like uh, Mike Oming getting out and and getting some oh, yeah. some some writing done? That's exactly the pattern I'm I'm hoping to follow. You know, to to be to be known as an artist and sort of have that as your day job, but to be able to sort of branch out and write also. That's that's the template I'm trying to follow. 
Well, it seems like the the writing pool has started to shrink in mainstream books, um, which is a question you know I had for you. We're starting to see an influx of writers from outside of the medium. We're seeing TV, movie, novelists that are are now coming over, especially to to Marvel. It seems. Um, how do you feel about that as as a guy who who likes to write? I I agree. I mean, it's it's frightening, but at the same time, you don't. You want to open that pool up. If you're an editor or a publisher, you want to get as many different kind of voices as you can. So I don't begrudge them that. Um, just personally, it's it's frightening to see that there are less jobs, you know, available to write. Um, and and there's and there's a little bit of irony in the fact that I've had more success with Hollywood than I have had with Marvel and DC. You know, I've had. A couple of my things optioned, and and so far not even been able to write an unlimited X Men backup. You know, so. I, I was going to ask you about the coffin was optioned by James Cameron, right? At one time, right? Has yeah, there been any progress? It. Yeah, they bought it out, so they own, they own it forever. And um, uh, he just recently gave an interview where he said it's still it's still uh, something they plan on making, and it's still something they plan on having. Guillermo del Toro direct. So, oh, wow. we'll see. Wow, that would be we'll that would be out. interesting. <laughs> he Cameron had mentioned that he planned on uh, having it be one of the features that uses his new 3D technology. So we'll see. That, that how, would have to be how, just amazing to see your you know something that you created up you know in lights as yeah. they say that that would have to be <laughs> just great. Yeah, it will. It, it will be. I won't have the Alan Moore disease. I will. You know. <laughs> You're gonna put your name all over that sucker, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. No matter how they, no matter how much they butcher it, my name is still staying on there. There you it, go. Is hey, that the movie will actually be called Phil Hester's The Coffin? There you go. <laughs> I did have a question in regards to your art. Um, have you ever considered doing any kind of manga stuff, or working you know, for a company like Tokyo Pop, or or doing I've any? I've considered writing. I've considered writing for a company like that, and. Um, I don't, um, you know, I, know, I don't think my my personal style fits that um, as an artist. But I wouldn't mind um, writing something and maybe laying it out, and then letting a manga, you know, a manga inspired artist sort of take it from there. Well, the the um, themes of a book like the coffin would just get eaten up by manga fans. Oh yeah, I think so too, and it's something that, you know. Tokyo Pop has different deals for different people, and with the track record we're having with with our movie options right now, it, it's kind of not wise for us to go anywhere. We'd have to give up a large chunk of our property, mm-hmm. so that's why a lot of my stuff is staying at places like Image, where I don't have to give up that stuff. But you know, Tokyo Pop still is an avenue I'd like to pursue. Well, it's it's definitely a growing segment of the uh, of the industry. We're we're getting ready to do uh, an entire show dedicated to the manga, and it's something I need to educate myself on as a fan. There's there's a lot out oh, yeah. there. I sort of what's funny for me is that I sort of went through my manga kick before the manga influence the manga wave sort of struck. You know, I was really getting off on it during the time when Eclipse was sort of the only source for that in America. Mm-hmm. So I was reading all those books and Lone Wolf and Cub and stuff like that. So, you know, when the actual 
big wave of all the other stuff came over, I was already already over it. <laughs> so. It's passe. <laughs> to feel. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I know all about that. Well, um, uh, let's uh, let's go on to another listener email here. Uh, this one is from Sam in uh, uh, Bristol in the UK. It says, uh, I loved your work on Green Arrow so much that I can't deal with someone else drawing the character. Do you have any plans on returning to him at some point? And he says, uh, um, also, what hero do you think best suits your style? Wow. Well, um, I don't know. I drew Green Arrow for four years, and they would have let me stay for another four, I think. But we just sort of got burned out on the character. We've been doing it so long. Andy and I that you know it wasn't any there was no dissatisfaction with the actual book or the people we were working with we just got to, you know tired of drawing that costume tired of drawing that beard tired of you mean that creative people will actually burn out if they have to do the same thing for four years yeah. in a row <laughs> yes and that happened to me and I think the only way I'd ever return to Green Arrow is, it, is if in some point in the future I was allowed to write and draw it you know then I would um you listening, DC? <laughs> That's something I would consider. But um, I think the I think the characters that I I see I don't know what I'm I don't know when I'm fit to draw because my style is pretty wonky. So there'll be characters that I that I'd love to do that I don't know if the rest of the world perceives that I would be able to do it. Um, I'd love to. I, if they let me tomorrow, I'd go back to drawing Swamp Thing. I'd I'd love drawing Swamp Thing. Even though, you know, my run on that book was less than, I don't know, the, the end results were not what I expected because it was, it was inked sort of in a different style from my style. Mm -hmm. But if I were allowed to go back to the book tomorrow, I would. But you'd um, take Andy Parks with you. Yeah. <laughs> and it would, look, it would look a little bit closer to what I'd penciled. Going right off of the, the Swamp Thing, it, that was, was that one of the first real mainstream books that you worked on? Yeah, that was my first um, monthly for a big two. And, and I was pretty young, and Mark Miller was pretty young, and it was a really exciting, fun place to be. What's it like now whenever you go to a convention and you see Mark Miller? It, I mean, do you guys talk about the good old days on Swamp Thing? Occasionally, but he sort of wants to leave that in his rear view. And, <laughs> and I do too. I mean, it's it was fun at the time, but I, I think Mark was really frustrated by, um, at the time, Marvel was, I mean, DC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. DC was taking a really hard line against crossing over DCU and Vertigo uh, books, and Mark was just dying to have DC characters appear in Vertigo books, so they were kind of stepping on that, and I think by the time Swamp Thing ended, he was really burnt out on the whole situation. Well, that's now Vertigo is absolutely completely separated from DC continuity. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. And I think that's a mistake. <laughs> I think anytime you uh, you think of your favorite DC, um, your favorite Vertigo books, they were DC books. I mean, your favorite moment in Animal Man was when Superman showed up. You know. So I I understand why they're doing it, but um, you know, I question. I think they're sort of cutting off really great avenues that they could be exploring. 
that and we had talked about this in a previous episode about uh, about independent and alternative books that you know really vertigo is is there to to slice out a huge part of the the independent market and you know that's there's nothing wrong with making money but you know that is that is our perception of what vertigo is there to do um you know i'm not saying it's bad most of my favorite books are vertigo titles but you know they you know are definitely there for that i think yeah i think that's the dynamic of people I don't know if the general comic book reading, you know, audience has caught on to, but that's the fact that I think DC and Marvel figured out they can make money with, you know, books that don't necessarily have a huge Marvel or DC print run, but they can make money at them. And so they're sort of the, you know, independents aren't being squeezed out by other independents. You know, they're being squeezed out by, you know, lower tier Marvel and DC books. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at at the 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 business you know plan now that I think that both of the big two realize that their that their fan base is growing up and there's not a whole lot of younger readers falling in behind them. So their their material seems to be getting more adult themed. Yeah. It's uh, but you know it's looking at the book that you're going to be working on. Is Ant Man going to be uh, an adult themed book or is it going to be a little bit campier? No, I, I, I don't know how to peg it because the funny stuff in the book is really funny and the sad stuff in the book is really sad. I, don't, <laughs> I really don't know what to call it because it's, um, it's a, it succeeds on many levels, but it's not, a, it's not a funny book, even though there are a lot of fun moments. I wouldn't call it a humor book. So I don't know. It's like Invincible, you know? There are parts of it that are hilarious and other parts that are heartbreaking. Well, Robert Kirkman, if he can make zombies funny and then absolutely yeah. terrifying in the next panel, that it, uh, it it should be a fun book to work on. So, who yeah, is this? Who who is this Ant Man that we're going to see? I'm not supposed to say because it's <laughs> it's the subject of some of the bigger twists in the early issues of the book. So uh, we won't exactly expound on who Ant Man is. I can't say it's not Hank Pym. That's about it. <laughs> but the guy who the guy the guy who winds up Ant Man is sort of a um, uh, how how to put it he's not well I guess he's a loser I mean <laughs> and he's not really he's not even a lovable loser he's kind of a cad and um, you'll see that play out over the whole run of the book. Ant Man kind of has a history of taking losers or you know less desirables and putting them into that role. Yeah, well, <laughs> we continue the fine tradition. Nice. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, go to one more listener email. This is from uh, Braxton in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he says, Phil, what, uh, what about your other hobbies outside of art and comics? I'm a big, I am totally addicted to uh, fantasy football. That is <laughs> one of my big hobbies. So you see my, you'll see my output sort of start to dwindle around August and September. And it doesn't really pick up again until February. So I'm in a couple of fantasy football leagues with um, uh, mostly made up of other comic book artists and writers, and we we take it pretty seriously. So that's sort of my number one <laughs> distract. I mean, outside of family, you know. Nice. So so would you take Terrell Owens in the first round now that he's in yeah, Dallas? Without a doubt, I took him, I took him last year. And he killed me. Oh, but but I looked like I looked like a genius at the beginning of the season, you know. Before he melted down, I was I was killing. That 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 cracks me up. That there is a group of comic artists out there that are obsessed with fantasy football. I love it. Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, more than you know. What about fantasy baseball? That's too much work. I love baseball, um, <laughs> but it is too much work. Well, you're you're in Iowa, so it's a it's a fair it's a fair drive to get to a major league game. I know, but we're heaven for minor league. Yes. I mean, yes. It, you know, we have town. You know, like Clinton's a town of fifteen thousand people, and they have a minor league team. You, you can go anywhere and see great minor league ball in the state. Oh, Sec Taylor Stadium in Des Moines is one of the nicer stadiums I've been to. Oh yeah, and um, the one I go to most often is um, uh, the Colonels, the Veterans Memorial Stadium in Cedar Rapids. And since they've renovated that, it's just beautiful. It's just like a a miniaturized Major League Park. It is. It is a lot of fun. It's uh, uh, my time in Iowa. Everything revolves around the Hawkeyes. So uh, yeah. you went to University of Iowa, correct? Yes, I did. Yeah. Are, are you still a big Hawks fan? Oh yeah. More football than basketball right now, but yeah. <laughs> That's uh, well, we'll uh, we're probably boring Brian to death with the sports. Yeah, we're going far afield here. <laughs> hey, I like baseball and football. Well, Brian is a Sox fan, so he rubs it in, you know, every day that his team is the World Series champ, and mine is. White Sox. Oh, I'm a Red Sox guy. Oh, uh-huh. but I like I like the White Sox too. I'm a Cardinal fan, so I'm glad the three of us aren't actually sitting in the same room right now. <laughs> I consider myself an American League fan. All right. I like the American League. Aroundcomics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.aroundcomics.com. Well, Phil, in uh, in 20 years now, you've certainly validated yourself in the comics world. Um, do you feel like you've done your defining piece of work yet, though? No. Um, and the day that happens, I'm done, uh, I think. You know, I think the day you feel like you've done your magnum opus, you're, you know, turn out the lights. Um, everything I've done, um, I've always had regrets about later, you know, when I examine objectively examine how, how it turned out. I've always regretted it, certain aspects of it. And um, Is that the, the line that, you know, art is never done, it's just abandoned? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I, sooner or later you have to turn it in. You know? <laughs> so you can't keep fussing with it forever. And um, I think that's... Uh, eventually, you know, I'd like to do something that I write and draw that, you know, I'd like to do my Dark Knight Returns or whatever mm-hmm. someday. And uh, we'll see. So in uh, in Ant Man now, what are we looking forward to? Are you going to be able to get your hands on some other um, Marvel characters and put them in that book and 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 play around with uh, with different different characters in there? Yeah, that was sort of that was sort of part part of Robert's sales pitch to get me over because um, it wasn't exactly the easiest thing in the world to do to quit DC because we've been there forever and um, but. I grew up a Marvel kid, you know, I loved, I read Marvel books when I was a kid, so the idea of, you know, someday being, you know, someday I will be done drawing comics, you know, and the idea that someday I, my career would wind up and I would have never drawn the thing really bothered me. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I really need to get over to Marvel and, you know, draw Iron Man or Thor, you know, I, I, and, you know, we're going to get to use plenty of those toys. So, yes, to answer your question, yeah, we are going to get to use a lot of them. Now you worked for Marvel before. You had done some stuff in the past for them. Yeah, um, but yeah I did a couple issues of uh, Ultimate Team Up, and I did a few short, you know, short stories way back at the very beginning of my career, but not a ton of stuff. Are you exclusive but with Marvel now? 
No, no, I'm not. Um, and uh, we like that flexibility. You know, we like to be able to jump around. And you know what? You know, I don't want to get too inside baseball, but a lot of the exclusives people offer to sort of limit your opportunities other places. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, DC was talking to us about one for a while, and we couldn't do it because it limited our ability to write other places. And Andy and I right now are sort of at the beginning of our writing careers, and we definitely don't want to do anything that will limit that. So. Well, that was that was a question. Say, you know, Andy Parks is signed to an exclusive deal with DC. Would he have even been able to do Capote in Kansas? It depends on the structure of your exclusive. I mean, some guys get exclusives that are so uh, full of, you know, full of exclusions that, um, or full of exceptions that they may as well not be exclusive. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think Warren Ellis has one that lets him write pretty much anywhere but DC. You know? <laughs> no, so Andy's is there any? Still rather, Andy's still around to write from Wildstorm, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um. So but, since since you're not exclusive, is there any truth to the rumor that you and Andy may be returning to Nightwing after one year later? No, we are not. You're not. No. Darn. <laughs> we were exhausted by that book. We were ready to go when it was time to go. Uh, you you whole, guys built up a huge fan base with your work on Green Arrow and Nightwing. I know a lot of a lot of DC fans are, are really disappointed that you guys are are moving over to the House of Ideas. Yeah, well, we'll be back someday. I mean, I'm I'm certain of it. I mean, nothing. Um, people jump back and forth all the time, and we'd just never been at Marvel really for a long period of time, and it was. It's time to you know play in that other sandbox for a while. Absolutely, no, but we'll be back. Um, uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask him if he had any other uh, creator-owned stuff going. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff cooking right now with um, uh, a few new books with Image that I can't really talk about yet, and a couple of books for a new company called Marcosia, uh, uh-huh. called uh, Olympia's Army and Golly, respectively. And one's a straight-up superhero book. And one is a um, sort of a horror book. Are you writing or or, or, or drawing or? Um, I'm writing and l- I'm writing and laying out both books, and, it's, and another artist will actually pencil them. So. Nice. Um, Sal, you you had a, you had a little surprise for for Hill for uh, for Phil with some uh, Ant Man, didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah. Since you're taking oh, over. Yeah. Uh, over Ant-Man, yeah. or you're starting this new Ant-Man book, I thought it'd be fun if we threw some Ant-Man trivia questions at you. Oh my god. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> These are all multiple choice. Uh, number one is, in what comic did Ant-Man first appear? Was it Avengers number 32, Tales to Astonish number 27, Thor number 43, or Spectacular Spider-Man number 2? I think it's Tales to Astonish 27. That is correct. You are right. All right. You're one for one. Okay. All right. Which of the following names has Hank Pym not used in his career? Uh, Ant-Man, Giant-Man, Atlas, Goliath, or Yellow Jacket? That's two for two. Man. I'm a bigger geek than I thought. Next question is, true or false, Hank Pym came up with the name The Avengers? Holy cow. You know, boy, oh boy. 
I want to say Wanda came up with it, but I really don't know. I'll say false. That is correct. It, it is false. It was actually Janet who came up with the name, but uh, but yeah. It why was, did I say Wanda? I meant Janet. I meant Wasp. Yeah. But uh, but Hank did come up with the idea to form the team. Uh, okay, That's number four. Right. I, got, I got Wanda and Wasp mixed up. Well, you still got the answer right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which of the following characters have not used Pym particles to follow in Hank Pym's footsteps? Uh, Scott Lang, Clint Barton, Ray Palmer, or Bill Foster? Well, Ray Palmer. <laughs> okay, that was a trick one. Um, and the last question is, which of these teams has not had an Ant-Man member? The Avengers, the West Coast Avengers, the Thunderbolts, or the Fantastic Four? I really, I guess I have to say Fantastic Four. No, that's incorrect. Uh, it was the Thunderbolts. They had a Goliath, not an Ant-Man. But Fantastic oh, okay. Hank was actually a... Or, I'm sorry, Scott Lang was actually an honorary member of Fantastic Four. I don't know, man. He, he only got four out of five. I don't think they should let him on the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than I thought I was going to do, believe me. <laughs> and you know what? I actually, these answers could be—I could be completely wrong with all of them because I just had to look them up online. Global never know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark Wade in here can answer I did have a question. Two, a couple of years ago at Wizard World Chicago, I attended a panel you did about um, thumbnails and thumbnailing on a comic, and I thought it was great. It was extremely informative for someone like me who's just an amateur and, and you know, just loves the, the, the creative form but isn't very good at it. Um, I thought you did a great job of teaching that class, and you were just so personable and, and, and helpful to everyone there. Have you ever considered doing more teaching? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always sort of been my, um, uh, my sort of my fallback position that if, if comics ever went away on me, then I would, I'd love to be an art professor at a, art professor at a small college. You know, I think that would be a blast. And ironically, as you're talking to me about this, I am doing a, I'm writing and drawing a wizard, uh, how to draw segment for their new how to draw book that they have coming out. So, oh, cool. and it's about storytelling. So, very yeah, cool. Doing that right now. Well, I, I, like I said, I thought it was a great class and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's always been. I I think a lot of people, a lot of pros are put off by portfolio reviews, and to me, it's the most fun part of being at a con is to actually, um, you know, look at people's work and and try to steer them the right way. And I guess I've been in it long enough that a lot of the guys I've talked to early in the careers they're now they're now working pros, and it's it's really cool to sort of watch them grow like that, and to know you have a little bit of a you know, a little bit of hand in that. Oh, come on. That's Bathroom awesome. sketches aren't the most fun part of a con? <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're the most infamous part, but they're not the most fun. <laughs> Greatest convention story ever. We'll, we'll share it later. <laughs> it was wild, yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was a wild night. That whole... Well, I was going to ask you, talking about conventions, do you have your uh, your convention schedule all mapped out this year? Yeah, pretty much. I, um, I love to do... Uh, the locals for me, which are Kansas City and Minneapolis and Chicago, and then um, uh, I'll probably do San Diego too. And then I'm, I think we'll probably do Wizard World Dallas because Ant Man will probably be out by then, so okay. we'll probably do Wizard World Dallas. It's uh, now you're, you're still going to stake out an Artist Alley, aren't you? Oh yeah, 
Good. That's uh, we we had such a fun time last year talking with you, and well, that's uh, good to hear. Just the accessibility that that you and hand that you and Andy had um, was great. You guys were well, really a pleasure to me. That's why we're there. I mean, I don't get it. I don't get guys who go there and don't want to do that. I mean, that's the whole point. So you're there to talk to people, and if you don't want to, don't don't show up. That was you. You, you said that uh, something real similar that stuck with me last year at Wizard World. You said, you know, we're here to, to you know. I, I had said, you know, hey, thanks for being so so great today. I really appreciate it. And you said that, hey, that's what we're here for. If yeah. if we didn't want to mix with the fans and and all these people, we just hole up in a hotel room on some other part of town, just come yeah. in, do the signing, and leave. And you're like, we're there for the fans, and that was great. Well, we're there. I mean, we work for the fans. You know, that's who we work for. So well, I always, I always got the feeling that you were a fan first, and and then you just happened to work in the industry. Exactly, <laughs> that's, that's so true. If you went into my basement, you'd know that because I could start two comic shops from the back issues in my basement. And I'm sure your wife loves that. <laughs> that's why we had to buy a bigger house. <laughs> Listen to AroundComics.com. It's not just for 12-year-old boys. It's for 13-year-old boys, too. Um, speaking of, I've got, uh, Sal, I've got one more question. Do you have anything else that you want to ask Phil before I before I ask that one? Um, the only other thing I, I was thinking was uh, any plans to revisit uh, Fire Breather? Sure. Oh, no, any plans. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Plans to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'd love to, and it's... It's just a matter of, we made a commitment pretty early on in that book that Andy Kuhn would be the only person to ever draw the book. And since that time, Andy has sort of like fallen into a lot of other jobs that pay a lot better than Firebreather did. <laughs> and it's tough to get him back to work on his own creation. So we'll see. We, we, may move, we may alter our commitment and, you know, have Andy just do covers or something and, and have someone else tackle it. But... The story of Fire, Fire Breather is not done. There's, um, if I had my way, I'd probably do about uh, 12 more issues of the book to sort of round out his his arc as a character. But yeah, it's, I, I always wanted to go back and do more. Good. That's good to hear. I mean, I'd love to, to, to see more of it, certainly, from my perspective. Yeah, me too. I mean, we sort of, I don't know, I don't know if we, the, the book got optioned by Paramount, and that was sort of like, um, uh, I, I don't know, in my mind or in Andy's mind, that was sort of like, hey, we won, you know, right. <laughs> we did it. And, it. and it was sort of an ending for, in, in some ways, because, you know, that's, there's not much more else we're going to get out of the character financially, but I really want to take, I really want to complete the story, because I think he's a, a unique character, and I really like that. You know, you, you brought know. something up that I, w- yeah, I meant to ask you also was, with today's sort of trends of writing story arcs that are uh, short for trades, and trades that are almost, it seems like they're written to be optioned. Um, right. Do you see that a lot, and do you think that's beneficial or harmful? I don't know. I don't try to do that. I mean, I think I've been lucky that... Um, the things I write, like the Coffin or Deep Sleeper, are things that have um, an ending involved in them. You know, they, they have a beginning, middle, and end. And that's appealing to Hollywood type. So that stuff is easier to get optioned. Um, so I've been a beneficiary of that, so I can't really complain about it. But at the same time, um, another book I write, Antoine Sharp, The Atheist, that book 
is so open-ended. I mean, uh, we get calls from Hollywood about it all the time, but it's such an open-ended and weird book that they don't know what to do with it. So they're sort of all biding their time to see what happens with the character. And since I'm not writing an ending for that character yet, it hasn't got as much attention. So, you know, I consciously don't write that way, but um, we've been, I guess we've been lucky in the books we have written that way have been options. Well, you certainly can't, I mean, begrudge someone, uh, you know, success <laughs> either. I mean, I mean you know, it's, it's just, it almost just seems sometimes where you see new stuff, and especially more maybe in the indie world where people are just trying to write stuff that maybe will make a good movie as opposed to a good comic. Yeah, I see a lot of that. And you can, you can, almost, you can sort of see it coming a mile away when someone gives you, when someone tells you the idea for their new book and it sounds like a pitch, yeah, you know, it sounds like a Hollywood pitch, and you sort of okay, I can see what you're doing. You it's know? kind of like a mediocre rock band writing a, a song about a car because they know at some point it's going to be picked up yeah. by Ford. <laughs> yeah, and I would just, you know, I've gone through a recent back and forth with a Hollywood studio about about a, a thing of mine that's not a comic book yet, and they saw the notes on it early and they wanted to get involved with it before it was a comic book. And they started giving me notes about how they wanted it changed so it would be more Hollywood friendly. Before you even... Yeah. And I was was real proud of myself because I sort of said no. I I said, I think the reason you like me so far is that I'm not doing things like that. If I started doing things like... If I started tailoring my stuff to be a film, it would lose what's special about it. Because you're seeing stuff that gets tailored to you every day. You You know, Hollywood people are... You know, every meeting they take is with with some screenwriter who's trying to anticipate what they want to see. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason they did comics so much is that we don't care what they want to see. We're just doing our thing. And um, it's it's hard to fight that impulse. It's hard to fight that impulse to give them what they want. So It's going to be their natural inclination to, to take something fresh and new and just slowly change it to what's comfortable for them. Yeah, and so we just, you sort of have to stand up for yourself. And it's hard to do when they... You know, with the amount of money they're talking about, it's hard to do. But you know, you got to sort of preserve what's special about your your ideas. Well, and that's sort of what I was well, talking about—is just you know the culture that's almost sort of being created by it. And and I don't, you know, being a, a longtime comic book fan, I'd hate for more and more and more stuff to be created yeah. without that special, you know, thing that. Oh yeah. If we'd, if we'd taken their advice, you know, the uh, the coffin would have been a guy um, not inside of that suit. He would have been just a guy who came back from the dead. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not cool. <laughs> What's cool is the suit. Yeah, the suit <laughs> you know, is or, what makes it cool. Yeah, or, the, or they would have had us take the, all the astral kung fu out of Deep Sleeper. And I'm like, yeah, but the astral kung fu is the cool part. <laughs> that's why they're suits, that. you know. It's, it, um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And so we had to do the, when uh, uh, you know we had to do that thing. We had to do that with our latest thing. You know, we had to say no. We need to keep this. You know, we need to keep the things that make it a comic in there because that's what makes it special to us. And I think, you know, whether you know it or not, that's what makes it special to you. So we'll see. Now, with something like Ant Man, that I, I, I believe that's going to be a movie, uh, or at least it's in sort of production or pre-production. Yeah, Marvel has Marvel's optioned everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. Everything that's from level of development at Marvel. Well, that was that was one of ten that they had announced that they had, that they had option. Now, do you, are you guys invo- are you or Robert Kirkman involved with that? Is it going to be the no. same Ant Man that you guys, or is it totally different? I don't, I don't think so. I think okay. they're just going to take in a whole new whole new direction. I mean, they okay, keep those I, those two entities almost completely separate. The the films and yeah, it's probably a wise thing to do, but um, yeah, they're separated. All right, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up on on this last point. Uh, Phil, for most comic fans, you're living the dream. You're working on mainstream books. You get to spread your creative wings on a lot of alternative projects like we talked about earlier. Um, you live in a part of the country that you love. Uh, on top of that, you, you get to raise your family at home. Can life get any better for Phil Hester? No. <laughs> I could lose 40 pounds. That's about it. I, it, it really seems like you know, if you had, if you had, whenever you were twenty years old, say, you know, in twenty years, this is what I want oh, to no. be at. I mean, could it be, you know, planned out no. or ended up any better? No. When I was, you know, when I was twelve, I set my mind on doing this and just doing it at all on any level. Okay, even if you were, you never really had anything you could call success. Just being able to do it for your job. That's like the biggest triumph of all. You know, every day, I don't have a day job. I want, you know, and um, I'm, and on top of that, I'm, you know, I'm doing work that I'm proud of, and you know, I I get to take care of my family, and that's, that can't be beat. I mean, there there were years when it was rough. I mean, there were years when I probably should have quit. I probably should have gotten a day job and not stayed a cartoonist. But uh, God bless my wife; she stuck with me, and um, you know it turned out for the best. But well, we, really we, we would like to thank her dog. for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, right? Right before Green Arrow started, I was really in a bad spot, and Green Arrow started, and everything really turned around. Green Arrow and the coffin start, sort of clicked at the exact same time, and sort of, that's sort of been like the second birth of my career. So. I think everyone has those. You just have to write them out. Well, it's you know, after talking to you on, on a couple occasions now, um, I'll let you know that um, Sal and I both enjoy just about anything that you work on, and just uh, just your personality and how much you embrace your fan base is is refreshing and exciting. And uh, and we want to we want to see you continue to do great work. I'm glad to hear that, and I thank you. And uh, I don't. You know, I don't see how anyone could not enjoy their fan base. I mean, the idea that you even have a fan base should blow anyone's mind, you know? <laughs> so just having people that dig my work is really is gratifying right there, and I don't need much more else. Well, well, we'll leave on that point. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Around Comics, and I would especially like to thank Phil Hester for taking the time to be here today. Phil, thank you very, very much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that, and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. 
Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week, where the panel will change, but our mission stays the same, bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics.